they've won the biggest championship, and that's a championship of life. Well, we're standing here right now because we haven't won enough. Loud noises! Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time, Tetra fan napping time. Turkey lurkey time. Waiting for Danny to tell us what time it is. Time, whatever time of day it is, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Wes Rucker, Danny Parker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio here in beautiful, historic, old North Knoxville. Basically downtown Knoxville. (laughs) Or if you are taking the approach from Danny's house to this house... Here's the thing about this neighborhood, Danny. When you when you enter it from some areas, you're like, wow, this is a beautiful old historic neighborhood. Look at all these houses, these nice people. Huh. You drive in from the other side, you go, I will not make it out of here alive. Downtown living, man. It is right. what it is, right? Sure. sure. Yeah. I love it. Where else are you going to get this much land this close to downtown? I love it. I love mm-hmm. it. You know what else I love, Danny? I love Thanksgiving week. Why is that, Wesley? One of my favorite holidays. I'm not going to say for sure it's my favorite holiday. It's kind of ubiquitous, kind of cliche to say Christmas, especially when my little brother was born on Christmas, and so therefore he's been ruining every Christmas of my life ever since. But I just, I like Thanksgiving. I, I like that it's not as commercialized. You just kind of sit around the fam- with the family and loved ones, eat a bunch of good food, you know, watch watch football. Watch some hoops, kick back. I love it, especially because because my dad's a one hell of a good cook and puts on an unbelievable Thanksgiving. You got any uh, Thanksgiving go tos, Danny? What what's the uh, what's the average Danny Parker Thanksgiving? Uh, depending on who's cooking, usually some dried out turkey, <laughs> some <laughs> some quality cranberry, which sometimes seeps over into the stuffing. Uh, based on who our cook typically is, so some slightly cranberry-ish stuffing, which isn't great. <laughs> um, uh, a nap lasting two to three hours, and then usually catching some form of the the Cowboys game. Group of Cowboys fan because of Danny White. I usually chose my favorite teams when I was little based on my first name. So that's fair enough. <laughs> so that's that's how I became a Cowboys fan. That in pajamas. So. Yeah, my uh, uh, grandparent pajamas. You know how they worked back in the day. That oh yeah, tube socks. So. Oh yeah, the uh, and my favorite color is blue. So here we go. Yeah, we always watch a lot of the. Uh, well, we always watch a lot of the, uh, of the Cowboys game because my cousin, who's basically my older brother, uh, we were raised kind of like siblings. He uh, depend depending on where he's deployed at the time. If he's uh, if he's home, uh, then he'll usually a lot of times eat with us and. And he's always been a big, huge Cowboys fan because our granddad was a Steelers fan. So I think he picked the Cowboys just to mess with him back in the day. That was sort of his his troll job. And he is a huge, huge Cowboys fan. So we're always watching a lot of the Cowboys game. And, you know, we're, we're eating my dad's good cooking and his uh, his dressing. Don't call it stuff, and it's not stuff in his dressing. <laughs> he makes his his is just uh, i mean a lot of people say hey the stuff my dad makes is the best i really do think my dad makes the best stuffing that i've ever had and it's uh it's a it's a good cook he, he usually just stay out of his way for the most part and let him do the thing the fiance wants us to cook some kind of cheesy grits thing to bring and i'm thinking okay that's fine but we don't have to do anything this is where rawhide shines this is rawhide's day to shine you know like kevin's chili day on the office that's thanksgiving for my dad you know all year just boom everyone's ready it's good stuff, good to go. And you know who else is going to be enjoying Thanksgiving a lot after, uh, or at least we think they will, after a really, really good Wednesday performance. And, and we are recording this, uh, full disclosure, on Wednesday afternoon, even though the game itself, or the this podcast will be released on Friday. We recorded it Wednesday just after Tennessee beat Purdue in basketball, 78-75 in overtime over the 18th-ranked Boilermakers. Now Tennessee looks like it'll get a shot against number 5 Villanova. On Thanksgiving Day, so that's a it's, it's a pretty good pretty good start. You know, for those of us who said that Tennessee was not 13th in the SEC, Danny, we're looking pretty smart so far. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty complete team. I think Rick Barnes and that staff's done a good job of building that roster. I, in the past couple of years, I think you could see see clear weaknesses. I think they 
they had trouble matching up in the post, getting, you know, handling the boards last year. They couldn't really bang a whole lot. So those young men have grown up. Obviously, adding Derek Walker to the mix is huge. Another year of development for Kyle Alexander was gigantic. I, he's starting to look like an SEC basketball player now. Um, dribble penetration I thought was a big problem last year. Uh, lacked some consistency out of the point guard position. But with James Daniel spending his fifth year in college basketball in Knoxville, I think that's going to rub off a little bit on Jordan Bone, make him better, as well as having Daniel in that type of athlete and scoring ability at the point guard position. Yeah, that was a, that was a good old-fashioned, you know, Pat Summit would be proud of it, defense and rebounding kind of game there because Purdue averages 102 points per game. That's an explosive offense with a lot of upperclassmen, one of the – a lot of people think a kind of a sneaky contender for a Final Four spot. That that Purdue team, uh, it's got a seven foot two guy, seven foot three guy, six eleven guy. It's got some guards who can just shoot the lights out. Uh, and, and Tennessee, despite getting a one for ten shooting game from Jordan Bone and an zero for two shooting game from James Daniel, so you're you're two for twelve. You're yeah, you're you're one for twelve from your point guards there. And now, despite all that, and despite having more turnovers than you had assists. And despite Grant Williams not playing very well at all in the first half, Tennessee found a way to dig in, dig its heels in, and win that game. Lamonte Turner hit some three-pointers to kind of keep the thing afloat there for a while. Also hit a huge three-ball there with five seconds left in regulation. Um, And then you had Grant Williams kind of down the stretch being the guy that he's supposed to be. Uh, You also had the only only double-double for Tennessee came from Kyle Alexander with 13 points, 11 rebounds, and a big three-pointer with Tennessee down five points in overtime. Uh, it's funny we were saw that coming. We, actually, you know what? Who may have seen that coming? Wesley Rucker. That might be right. Danny and I were sitting here uh, up here in the Fort Rucker studio watching the game before we went live with the pod, and you know, I, I just kind of told him randomly, you know, if they keep leaving Kyle Alexander that wide open, he's got a good shot if he'll take it. He's just got to be confident and take it. And he went and hit a big three pointer. Uh, Tennessee did a lot of a lot of good things in that game, despite a lot of guys being able to to play better than they did. They kind of toughed one out there, and what's really huge is, you know, Tennessee opened up that, I think, about a double-digit or so lead there in the first half, and it started to look like so many Tennessee games last year where the the older, more experienced team kind of makes its run back at Tennessee, and Tennessee doesn't answer, and then, you know, it goes up by three or five, and then the game's over. That didn't happen at all with this Tennessee team. It fought back. It, it showed some some spine, showed some backbone. I thought that was – Really good to see, and obviously we don't know what's happening in that Tennessee-Villanova game. That's another great test for Tennessee, and for all I know, Tennessee could go out there and win that game by five or lose that game by 20. I don't know, but regardless, this has been a good week for Tennessee, and this is going to be something that's really going to help Tennessee and I think really the entire SEC come tournament selection time because big kind of neutral site wins like that over major conference opponents. Big, They're big. Yeah, a team that was ranked number three, I think, in the, in the Ken Palm rankings, which I treat much more seriously than I treat the um, AP poll. You know, and I say that as a former AP poll voter, <laughs> Ken Palm's ratings in basketball. I'm, I'm a big Ken Palm guy. I think his the way he breaks things down is fantastic and really kind of gives you a good idea of who can play and who can't. So – uh, big, big game there for Tennessee, and uh, Grant and I, if, if you're liking this hoops discussion, uh, Ramey and I had a, a, a kind of a hoops-exclusive podcast uh, that we recorded that we dropped Wednesday morning. You can go back and find that when it's the episode right before this one. This one's going to be a little bit more football-related. Tennessee, as most of y'all still know, and the reason why many of you are probably listening to this podcast is that Tennessee just still does not have a a full-time head football coach. Tennessee's search is ongoing. It has continued, at least as of Wednesday afternoon, it had. And that doesn't surprise me necessarily. I've said the whole time that I think you look at that end of the regular season for most teams, which is this week, you look at that Saturday, Sunday, Monday as a potential date where you could see a hire. And then you see – you know, just fast forward one week from there after the conference championship games, and you see that Sunday, Monday, Tuesday after that. I think those are sort of somewhere in that nine or so day period is when I think Tennessee will have its new head football coach. Uh, and right now, Danny, I, I think that everyone's still talking about Gruden. Uh, understandable. He, he's the guy that, you know, it's it's kind of Tennessee fans' dream coach, and uh, he hasn't come out publicly and said no, even though most of us think he will say no. He's been offered a lot of money to at least think about it. But what I think is the the real fascinating story here, Danny, is that John Curry has been kind of a ninja, and that's a good thing for Tennessee. That, to me, is the sign of a guy who uh, 
sort of knows what he's doing, or at least knows how to keep people from thinking that, that he doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, we've seen the news coming out of College Station earlier this week about, you know, players, assistant coaches being very upset with how Kevin Selman's ouster is being handled. Hadn't been that way with Tennessee. I know fans were, were upset for, for pretty much <laughs> the month of October. Yes. One, one Butch fired ever since uh, they hit triple zero in the 41 nothing loss to Georgia. But um, to John Curry's credit, in terms of the people in the building and around the building, the athletics department, I think he handled it right way. And with the search, uh, you know, I, I don't I don't think you're going to see too many legit leaks out of the John Curry office and those people – close to him um you know we've tried back channels we've tried the other side of of the the search and you know who has talked to john curry who hasn't uh that sort of thing but it's you're not going to get a whole lot from john curry himself i don't think he wants a whole lot of information floated out there and really that that's that's how you want it if you're one of the coaches that tennessee's looking toward because as we talked when this thing got going you know and it's the case with any coaching search if you're if you're prodding a a standing coach somewhere, so say it's Scott Frost, and he comes out and John Curry lets it leak or makes it public that he sat down with Scott Frost. Well, that may cost him an American Conference championship. You may lose part of your team immediately. So uh, in, in those respects, I think John Curry's done a great job with it. Um, but, but you're right, Wes. Uh, this weekend from you know, the 25th to Saturday, Tennessee will play their season finale uh, on that afternoon against Vanderbilt. But right after that, I would say – Starting on the 26th, all bets are off. It's hard to say when when this hire might would get made. I would say somewhere between the 26th and, and December 4th maybe, that following Monday, if I had to guess, because those conference championships will be done. You'll be on to the bowl season. Now I think NFL is entering week 12, so quite a bit left on on their season, uh, especially the teams going to the postseason, if, if they do go the NFL route. So they could be – quite a bit longer, which will be catastrophic for the 2018 recruiting class because so many kids are going to sign in that December 20th to 22nd window. But, um, but yeah, I, I don't know that, that Tennessee would wait that long to get this thing done. Yeah, it, it's it, – we talked a lot at the time uh, about – obviously there, there's no aspect of the search we haven't really covered in detail because that's, that's our job. There's five of us, and it's our job to go in there and get the news. Uh, but – when when Tennessee or when John Curry confirmed that at least to start the search, he did not want a search committee. One of the reasons that people like search committees, it's not because they tell you who to hire. People have the wrong, completely wrong understanding about that. What a search committee does is it helps you a lot with background checks, make sure there's no bad skeletons in any closet. And the other thing that they do is they really help you with logistics, kind of getting people scheduled for interviews, getting things done with travel-wise, where you can get to the same place because these are all such busy people. And one of the reasons, that's the the two-pronged reason that you do a search committee. And maybe the second most important thing there, or the third most important thing with that search committee, is that a lot of times it helps you prevent leaks. Uh, you can't prevent all of them because agents – want things out there for their coaches. Coaches want things out there for, for coaches. They, they want more interest publicly because that puts more pressure on teams to and programs to offer them more money and, and all that, and that's just business 101, really. But, you know, with Curry doing this thing kind of not by himself but not having an external search committee, he's still been able to keep this thing really, really quiet. He's kind of kept a really tight circle on this. I, I think the people who really know what Tennessee – is trying to do here, I think you're looking at a really small group of people that you could probably fit on a couple of hands that are either, you know, one, John Curry, two, the senior most people in his staff, and then the Tennessee donors who make enough money and boosters who make and provide enough money to get their conversation or, or their input heard. That, that's where I think, I think uh, aside from that group of people, I don't think that a lot of people know exactly what Tennessee wants to do right here. Now, I've speculated that I get the feeling that you're talking about a handful of names right now who are prominently in play. I think we know probably three of those names, maybe four. But there's at least one, maybe two names out there that I don't know that we're focusing on that are really prominent players. And that's where it gets interesting because we all know Dan Mullen is a big factor in this. We all know uh, that Scott Frost is a factor in this. You know, we all know that, that Gary Patterson's a guy that Tennessee will try to make them listen or 
try to make him listen to them. We know those sorts of names. But there's a couple more out there that are probably pretty interesting that we don't know about. And that, to me, is where I think maybe those names will start to surface after this week. I think you'll get a slightly clearer picture because you'll have a lot less people around, a lot more people around these programs who are able to see what's going on. They're not paying attention to that week's game because there is no game for a lot of them. They're just kind of snooping around, walking around the building. People are going to start seeing things. People are going to start seeing athletic directors in airports, you know, or at conference centers and hotels. Things are going to start to leak a little bit. But I think overall, right now, where this thing is, I think John Curry feels like he's kind of got a confident vibe to me about this. Danny, do, do you – I mean, looking at him right now, and the proof will be in the pudding, but do you not – every time you, you see him – or every time you hear about what he may or may not be doing, it just seems to me like he's got a like he's got a pretty good command of this situation. I, I would say so. Otherwise, he wouldn't have gone to the Bahamas with a men's basketball team. And or the wife just wanted to go. Hey, hey, let, let, let's <laughs> let's go. Let's go pet some dolphins. Let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe see the monkeys. Uh, you know, and take a tour of the islands and that sort of thing. And but yeah, uh, I, I agree. Uh, I think he's taking a very business like approach to this. And I, you know, I don't think that he just wanted to ruffle the feathers of the fans when he was extending, you know, week to week and everybody wanted Butch fired after the Alabama game, after the Georgia game, after the the Kentucky game, all up in there, even after the Southern Miss game perhaps. But, I, uh, you know, if you think that the coaching search didn't start until Butch was officially fired, you're vastly, vastly mistaken, I think. You're naive. Yeah. Really the day you take over a job somewhere, you probably got a notepad somewhere that's got names that you would call for not just the, who who would be the head football coach, but other sports as well. A mm-hmm. uh, lot under your umbrella. So, uh, you know, John Curry's an intelligent man, and he's he's got his ducks in a row. I think he knows the amount of money that he can offer. Um, and Tennessee is a good job. It's a better job than it was, you know, four or five years ago with the Stokely uh, Residence Hall and Anderson Training Center and uh, the renovations that have taken place in Neyland Stadium, the renovations that have been approved approved to take place down the road. So he's got so many things he can sell, but, you know, it's it's good to know what you can write down on a piece of paper and slide across the table to a coach that could be a formidable offer. I, I don't, you know, I, when all this initially started, I wondered where Tennessee would be in terms of money and what they can offer. Would it be something similar to Butch Jones? Would it be four to five million a year? But everything that, that people have told me says that if they need to jump up to get a legit guy to get everything figured out, then they'll do that. And I think we've seen that with the John Gruden uh, in trying to hunt him down a little bit. And it doesn't sound like that's going to happen. But either way, I think Tennessee has kind of gotten to the edge of their seat and gone all in and, and really done what I think they, they wanted to do and needed to do and in, uh, in, in searching for the number one guy. And there were reports that came out Wednesday – maybe late morning, early afternoon, that said that Chip Kelly had been offered the Tennessee job and turned it down. I don't know that I know of any specific offer that was made to Chip Kelly. Uh, that that might be really good work by his agent. And I'm not speaking for Tennessee here. I'm not being anyone's mouthpiece. I'm saying that in these searches, it's it can be semantics a little bit, but something's really an offer sort of if, if you know the guy's going to accept it you, you don't you know it, it's sort of just it really is semantics it's a he said she said but I don't know that Tennessee's made a specific offer to Chip Kelly so I, I don't I don't know about any of that but what I do know is that the the amount of money that was discussed when and I guess I say when Gruden was a possibility I guess he still hasn't technically ruled himself out of it but coaches and, and agents they know because I've talked to, to some of those people in the business, and they know what kind of money was being discussed for the Gruden deal. And that means that now everyone knows Tennessee's got that money. <laughs> so so basically what that means is, uh, yeah, the, they know you got it now, so you're going to have to spend some of it. And you're going to see half the SEC almost, it seems like, jump in there with a, with a coaching search in this window. Uh, that's an exaggeration, but you're going to see several more SEC teams kind of jump in this thing. And, and when that happens – Every time that happens, you can add another couple hundred thousand dollars at least to the price tag of a coach because that leads to more rumors and that leads to more paranoia and that leads to bigger offers. Because uh, to, to, right now you've got a market where you don't have a lot of proven – you know, you got a lot more proven programs looking for, for coaches, you know, than, than programs looking for proven coaches. 
you, you, you've got a tier there. You've got a lot of guys kind of on that B, B-plus tier. And you got maybe one or two guys on that A tier, but you got a lot of A tier programs that are looking for jobs or for, for coaches. So that means that they're all going to be paying probably above market value to get a guy. And that's just how it's going to be. And, and every market every year is different. This one, the way it's turning out is that I, th- I think you're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to stomach the fact that if you want Dan Mullen, you might have to pay something like $6 million for him. And, and you may not think he's worth it, but it's either that or you're paying. Four million for a coach who might be worth two. So, what are you going to do? I mean, if you're if you're talking a, a million dollars here or there, and that that doesn't need to come between you and getting the coach you think is going to take your program to the next level. I think. Yeah, and Dan Mullen already makes four point five at Mississippi State, a job that comes with, in my opinion, far less pressure than a place like Tennessee. Agreed, um, but far less upside. Yeah. So, it, I mean, you, you would have to pay Dan Mullen, I'm guessing, at least $6 million to get him to leave that job to that come would, to Knoxville. That, I mean, I think if he wanted to leave, you could maybe get him for five and a half. But I think when you look at the fact that A&M is going to be on the, is on the market too, uh, Florida's out there with their history with Dan Mullen. Uh, you look at uh, potentially an Ole Miss or somebody like that. I mean, Ole Miss for sure, Arkansas possibly. Yeah, you look at all those situations, and that's a lot of people who could who could – have enough money to bend his ear so i mean if you're the agent all you have to do is say oh yeah all these other four or five sec coaches jobs they've all called even old miss hates mississippi state and even they've tried to make a call you know look at all this money that, that's being out there you're going to have to go to six to even get his attention i can just imagine the agent doing that and and that is how the game is played so if you're paying six million for a guy you think is worth about four or four and a half I'd rather do that than pay four million for a guy who might be worth two. <laughs> I mean that, that that would be that that's my opinion, but that's what I think would be the the the, the safer play for your long term health of your program. I, I think it'll be a bigger name guy. Um, I know a lot of people have pointed to Mark, Mike Norvell and a few guys on that tier, maybe a Jeff Brom, and I do think those guys are quality coaches. I don't know that either will be back where they are now. This carousel is really widened out much further than I thought it was going into 2017. I didn't foresee the UCLA job opening up. I thought Texas A&M, you know, until they said what he said back in the summer, I thought that Kevin Summer was pretty safe there. I thought he'd done a solid job at Texas A&M, but the old stuff came down. But now you're looking at almost half the SEC having jobs open up if you include Arkansas in that mix. And Burt, it's, you know, he he almost looks a little bit like a dead man walking at times, but – I think he's another quality coach as well. I think he could get it figured out, but I don't know that there's going to be enough patience in that situation or anywhere in the SEC for that matter. But it's a, you know, it. I think it would probably, you know, and, and not to discredit Tennessee's program, but I think most people view the Florida job as a better job. Absolutely. An easier job. Top five job. Yeah, so it's probably going to be a trickle-down effect, a domino effect after the Florida job is filled before – in A&M and Tennessee, and then in Arkansas, potentially Ole Miss, those type of people can fill their positions if they're going after the same people. Now, if if you're Tennessee and you're after Scott Frost, which I don't know why you wouldn't be, um, I, you know, I, I've been told by people in Gainesville that he's on their top three list, and if it's not Chip Kelly, I think it could be Scott Frost. Who's no. a Chip Kelly disciple. Yes, exactly. And Chip Kelly's called him a quote unquote a stud, you know, of a coach. So you know, it's like it's like when the Red Sox wanted Billy Bean as their GM and they couldn't convince him to come over from Oakland. They decided, well, we can't get him. Let's get one of these disciples. Let's get one of these guys who also believes in the same stuff. Uh, so that was Theo Epstein, and, and then off they go from there. So that, that reminds me of that a little bit. Sure. Can we get back to football now, Wes? You're a baseball guy too. You know what I'm talking <laughs> about, Danny. Go ahead. I do. I do. But it's. But you know, I'd, rude. That was rude. But that was rude. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. But if you're Tennessee, I think you definitely want to keep an eye on what Florida does. I mean, you do naturally, anyways, because that's one of your your arch nemesis, and this is going to be a guy that you're going to be facing for at least three years, probably. But if it's not Chip Kelly, if Chip Kelly goes to UCLA, I would assume that Florida would shift gears immediately and go all in on Scott Frost because they don't want to be down to their second or third tier option. I think that fan base would eat them alive, given how how respected that job is. You know, you know, they're a little bit short on facilities and, and there are different things around, you know, that program, their athletics department. Are they getting enough support for, for what they are? You know, I, I think you can definitely win a national championship there and, 
in multiple sports, baseball, softball, men's basketball, football. So, you know, I hear a lot of people complaining about Gainesville and what's going on at the University of Florida. I've always wondered why that is because when you're, when you're playing for championships, there's more money coming in. You would think the more people would be donating. So I don't, I don't understand some of the issues there. But anyways, getting back to the point with Tennessee, I think it will be a bit of a trickle-down effect after they get their hire made. If, if it is Chip Kelly and Scott Frost is still out there, I would assume Scott Frost would be a guy that would definitely be in play and pique the interest of a John Curry. There's a couple things I wanted to add there. One is I think we can uh, both agree that Scott Frost will be making more than his $1.7 million salary uh, <laughs> here in a couple of months. Uh, I, I think he will be probably doubling that, if not more. Uh, I think that's a pretty pretty safe bet. And, and the other thing is a point that I made when we one of our Facebook Live uh, deals early this, earlier this week when I said that, and, and I do believe this, that if it turns out that Chip Kelly does go to Florida, that changes the entire calculus for Tennessee, I think because that puts so much more pressure on John Curry to, to go get a name because you know you're going against Saban every year. Now you know you're going against Saban and Chip Kelly every year. And you got what Kirby Smart's doing down there in Georgia with the way they're recruiting. Uh, you know, you, you look at that and all of it, and you know uh, a great recruiter like you know Orgeron at, at LSU. You know Ogre's going to bring in players. So you're looking at a situation where – if you're Tennessee and it looks like that you're going to hire a, a knife to take to a gunfight, and it's so obvious at the time that you're that you're not getting the big name like a lot of the other people in the league are, well then that's going to make you look small time. So th- that's not a good situation, I, I don't think, uh, for for Tennessee. That that puts a lot more pressure on Curry because then it'll look like, oh well, these other guys can make big boy hires. Why can't he? And, and so th- that would. I think change things a lot if if Kelly does indeed go to Florida. I think that makes things more complicated for Tennessee on a, on a lot of levels. But I still I still contend that there is at least one, maybe two names out there that we are not discussing nearly enough who are in play at Tennessee. Could that be a Chris Peterson, somebody like that? Could that be uh, an oddball like a Mike Leach? Could that be? Could that be a David Shaw at Stanford? You know, could it be somebody who's in the NFL? Could there be somebody? I know. I, I've just I've covered too many of these searches to know that that, that that there's not one or two names that are not obvious at the beginning. But then you go back and you go, wow, yeah, that did make a lot of sense. You know, like like Whittingham when he almost got the job at Tennessee uh, when when they went to Dooley when Golden. You know, almost got it. When, when Troy Calhoun was going to be Tennessee's coach until Lane Kiffin promised to bring that whole staff with him of his dad and Ogre and all those guys. There's always something that until you get right down to, as we like to call it in the old baseball clubhouse, nut cutting time, that, that didn't go. There's always something that surprises you a little bit. So I think there is something like that in this search. And, you know, we're working like crazy to try to get that. But so far, John Curry has been a. Uh, he has been a, uh, a game opponent. He has been a feisty opponent. Uh, i got to tip my cap to him so far and say, you know what, you, 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 you've got to – we'll see what decision you make. But in terms of going through your process, he's doing this like a pro, I think. Yep. <laughs> he's not the best <laughs> – No, he's not the best analyst in the game for nothing, <laughs> folks. No, it's – Fly uh, ball. Uh, like, we, like we've said several times, not only this pod but other pods, he's – you know, it – I think he's taking a very businesslike approach, and I don't think he's letting emotion get into it. And that's probably a little bit helpful for him that he hasn't been around the, the fan base and kind of been extracted from it all. He's been in Manhattan, Kansas for several years before coming here back in April. So he's been able to take a kind of a wide-scope approach and seeing Tennessee from afar and getting other people's perspective about where this job is. How tough of a job is this? Do I have to get a big name guy for this to work? You know what what's going on around this team? What do they have to do to get to that next level? What do they face year in year out? And now it's a, a Florida that that may have a Chip Kelly. It's a Georgia that has an up and comer in Kirby Smart. It's Alabama that has arguably the best college football coach ever in Nick Saban. I got to go get somebody that can hang a bunch of L's on all of these guys for us to accomplish our goals. And I think he's he sees all that. And that's that's part of the reason, one of several factors in why I don't think Tennessee is just going to get some two, three, four million type guy 
you know, I hate to put a price tag on a guy's ability to coach and get get things right at Tennessee, but still, I everybody that's told me and, and my logic tells me it's going to be a big name dude, and it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a John Gruden or or Dan Mullen or James Franklin or somebody like that, but it's going to be a guy that I think Tennessee fans, as soon as they hear him talk at the opening press conference, go, okay, this this dude's gonna he's going to be tough to beat each Saturday next year. I think that's 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 a that's a that's a good point, and, and I think that one thing that I really like that Curry does before we move on and talk about this Tennessee Vanderbilt game quickly and get out of here, uh, I think that when you're in a situation like this and you're John Curry, you have to look at this thing from all sides, and what I mean by that is you have to look at it from the inside out, and you also have to look at it from the outside in. You have to get the knowledge of your your culture your current locker room and what your current team needs in order to get better to, to what needs, what lessons needed to be learned from the way things have gone this year in the past couple of years with teams kind of three years in a row, not winning as many games as they should have. If we're all being honest, how do you get that sort of thing corrected? But you also have to look at it from the outside in. And what I mean by that is you have to go around to your opponents you have to go to people in other conferences. You got to go to NFL guys. You got to go around and you got to say, listen, you've seen a lot of this team. You've seen this program. What's not been happening that needs to happen? What are you seeing in other programs that you're not seeing here? Where is this thing? Where did this thing get off the rails a little bit? Because it looked like it was so on the rails or, or going that way. And how, from your perspective, how did it get where it is? You know, you have to you have to ask those questions because if you take a completely insular approach to everything, you're never going to get the big picture because you're standing there doing what Butch Jones does, does and, and did so many times, which is missing the forest for the trees. You have to see the forest. And I think John Curry spending a decade in the Big 12, spending some time away from Tennessee – going around getting making friends in other conferences you know seeing the way other things go I think that helps because I think that gives you one you know the SEC and two you also have a non-SEC perspective and without both of those things it's hard you know I mean Florida goes out there and gets um, Urban Meyer from Utah people say that offense isn't going to work there's no way yada 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 BS look what it did it was fine you know Uh, you can go get guys from other places, like if you go get a Chris Peterson, that dude's a hell of a football coach. I think he would win no matter where he was. And I also, and I won't get on this soapbox for long, I'll get on it real quick and then step right back off of it. All Mike Leach has ever done in his career (laughs) is take players that other people don't want and put up a lot of points and yards and won some games. And even when he was at Kentucky, those teams put points on the board in the SEC. He can coach an offense – and he can let the defensive guys do some of their work, but he can take guys that are not perfect prospects and make a really good thing out of them. And he, he does it with the smart offensive line play. He does it by not being afraid to be unconventional. And I think if you're Tennessee, you're not going to out Saban Saban. Georgia maybe can do that with Kirby eventually with the way they can recruit. Florida, you know, with the talent in that state, maybe can do that. But if you're Tennessee, you're like Auburn and you're like A&M. You can win big, but you're not going to go consistently do what Nick Saban does and do it better than him. So that's why I don't like someone like a Jimbo Fisher. You know, I don't like someone from that Saban tree because I don't think that Tennessee is a place where you can do that. So I think you can do that and win seven, eight games, sure. But if you want to go up there and you want to win nine, 10, 11 games, as long as Nick Saban's at Alabama – you're going to have to do something he's not doing. And that's where I think you bring in – that's where I could see some merit to bringing in somebody, one of those West Coast guys. I could see – and a lot of people are going to want to string me by the neck for saying that, but I don't think that would be the worst idea I've ever heard. I think you can get someone who does things a little bit different, and that helps you get an edge. And, and I don't think this this team and this program is that far away. I know a lot of people are downtrodden. They've been punching the face a lot – this year, but a lot of these games, yeah, their record could be even worse. But if Jeff George nudges in the end zone in, in, in Lexington, if, you know, that things go to overtime in Gainesville, maybe that one comes out differently. Uh, you know, the way they won against Georgia Tech in the opener, I, I thought I thought that was going to set a standard for this team on how to finish and not give up, showed a lot of fight. But 
going back to the 2015 year as well, where they lose like five games by 18 points combined mm-hmm. or something like that. So if you put in an elite-level coach, I think you get that extra field goal. I think he's worth an extra three points, seven points, 14 points or something somewhere. He's going to have uh, you know, the guts to, to, to go for it on fourth down in the right situation. He's going to put people in the right spot to succeed a little bit more than Butch Jones had been able to do. Something else is going to be done differently during the week to get a little more something out of them on the fourth quarter. You know, maybe it's how they approach practice. I mean, what 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 did Brady Hoke do the second he took over as interim coach? He immediately changed how Tennessee was practicing and things. I'd heard, you know, a lot of people complained about, you know, doing a walkthrough on a Thursday and then having to practice on a Friday, according to some reports. But the week before a game, you know, changes like that implemented on top of, you know, if it is a big name guy, he's going to be able to recruit maybe even at a higher level than level than Butch was. And certainly you would think he could circle the wagons and maybe get Cade Mays back in the house, Lante Taylor, keep Adrian Martinez, some of those types, Greg Emerson, DeAndre Lidiker, you know, keep this class together, maybe get it back to a top 10 class and close the door on Dorian Gerald, a, a Juco defensive lineman that you would think might could come in and start day one for Tennessee. Um, but but if he's able to do all those things and, and have a better week and have a better spring, uh, those little pieces, those little those tiny points that were missing, that field goal, that that seven points, I think that puts Tennessee on the edge, you know, going over it. I, I think that they, they get back to maybe 9, 10, 11, 12 top win seasons instead of you looking at them year out, you're like, oh, this is, you know, what have we been debating the last several years in August? Is this seven and five or is this eight and four? Is this eight and four? Is this seven and five? Maybe six and six if things go bad. At that point, I think you jump up a little bit. You get to nine and three is the the worst this team could do. Ten and two. I think Tennessee needs that guy, and that's why Butch Jones is not here anymore. I think he he showed the last three seasons combined, not just this year, that he he was a good guy, a great guy to get Tennessee back back, kind of. I guess in the bowl pitcher and rebuild the roster a little bit, get, get some speed get your, and athleticism. Yeah. yeah, but I think they need somebody else to come in and go, okay, you know, we need more 320-pounders, more, you know, giant beasts coming off the edge uh, to, to affect the passer in the SEC, maybe a, a top-shelf wide receiver to catch the football from a Garantano or a Martinez or somebody like that down the road and, and finish and get more guys like that pieced in to where this is a bona fide SEC football team. The last point I'll make about the coaching search is that if I'm John Curry, there's a lot of things on my checklist that I'm, that I'm looking for. But this is one thing I would definitely do, and I hope that it's something he does. I would go, if I'm going to hire, uh, if I think I've got my guy, I think i got a new head football coach, I'm going to go into a room, if I'm John Curry, I'm going to come into a room with Peyton Manning, and I'm going to go into a room with Philip Fulmer, and I'm going to sit down with that coach or on a conference call and say, you tell me your plans for the offensive line. I want to know who's coaching them. I want to know what your philosophy is. I want to know how you can get this team to play better up front. Because Tennessee, there's been a couple seasons recently that have been just wrecked because offensive linemen either couldn't stay healthy or, or could not produce to a level they should. Now, maybe that's a, a guy who thinks outside the box, getting some thinner guys with bigger splits and, and kind of playing around the offensive line and not through them. You know, maybe it's something like that. Or maybe it's a guy who says, I'm going to go get Sam Pittman because I think he's the best O-line coach in the country and he's going to be on my staff and we're going to get it rocking and rolling. You know, something like that. I, I just I want to know what the plan is up front because I think if Tennessee does not either drastically change this offense or get much better play on the offensive line, it's not going to get much better because you can't win playing the way Tennessee is up front right now. And I know that injuries have thrown a wrench into the whole thing and Venzo Bulware wanting to leave and all that. I, I get it. I get it, all right? Stuff happens. As Forrest Gump said, it happens. But I think that you've got to get better play up front uh, because it, it doesn't matter what you've got in a car. If you don't have tires on the thing, you're not gonna, you're not going to go anywhere. And you need the offensive lineman to have rubber meet in the road and and making plays, either running, either either containing guys better and, and being split wide apart and, and helping you that way or being mobile to help you on screens or just big old corn-fed boys who are going to just knock you off the ball. One of the two because what they're doing right now up front is just, just not good enough, and that's – I mean, I, I, and I say that as someone who admittedly knows less about the offensive line than I do any other position on the field. 
I think most sports writers, if they're being honest, are like that. Offensive line is one of those positions. I used to hate when we did like the APL American team and stuff like that. Um, they would they would go to me and, and ask me for you know a vote on these things, and I would say okay. But I would sweat my offensive line picks a lot because the other ones I can I watch enough football, I know enough about the game, I can see what's going on. But I'll be completely honest. For a lot of the offensive line votes on stuff like that, I went to coaches, and I said, "You tell me," because I don't know. I used to go to Philip Fulmer occasionally and say, "Hey." you could tell me anything about the offensive line, I'd probably believe it. So this is something I saw in my an idiot or something like that. You can do that. I mean, I, I don't know enough about the offensive line to know exactly what they're doing wrong, but I know what they're doing is not right. It's just not working. And I think Walt Wells is a good dude, tenacious recruiter. I think he's tried to get some toughness in these guys, uh, tried to break them down and then build them back up, and they've just had a bad year. I get it, man. Guys get hurt, stuff happens, but – if I'm John Curry, I go into a room with Philip Fulmer and Peyton Manning, and I say, what do you have in mind for the offensive line? Because you got to do one of two things. And that's just, you know. Speaking of offensive lines that are struggling, this Tennessee football team right now, Danny, will be playing Vanderbilt on Saturday. In the, uh, I've been joking all the time that if we need, a, we need a name for this game because both teams are 0-7 in the SEC, <laughs> neither teams. So I'm, 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 I'm settling right now on crappy bedlam. That's what it is, because I can't say uh, the other word that I would call it. I, mean, I call it ishy bedlam, uh, because it's you can't even call it the governor's cup because the governor probably don't want anything to do with this. <laughs> so it's like the lieutenant governor's cup, the sergeant at arms cup. You know, it, it it's the bottom line is though one of these teams has got to win an SEC football game this season because they're going to play each other. And the one thing I will say about Tennessee and Danny, you've been on the field for every single game, which I have not. I get the birds out of you, you get the up close view, which there's pros and cons to each one, but. I don't think I've seen this team quit. I think this team is going to go out there and senior day and play hard. You can tell at times that they've looked defeated. Uh, the end of the Missouri game, you could see some of that. The end of the Georgia game, you could see some of that. Um, I think the Georgia game, they were just flat overwhelmed. Um, by the end of the Bama game, a lot of the, the young guys were on the field at that point, uh, which – to spin off that, I think that's one of the issues Butch Jones had for years is not playing enough young guys at the end of the games when, when games were wrapped up. You know, why are starters still on the field? I never understood that. But anyways. Like LSU getting guys shaken up at the end of that game. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, look look no further than the LSU game and the start of that game. Tennessee came out and played good football. You know, Darius Geis, arguably the best running back in the country. You know, Saquon Barkley, some other guys are definitely in that conversation. He's in the conversation. He's sure. in the conversation. Could be a first-round pick. You never know what NFL teams are thinking with running backs. But anyways, they slowed that young man down. Uh, they kept him under 100 yards for the day. Four yards of carry. Yeah, I expected to run for 250-plus. I expected LSU to win by 40. Um, a loss is a loss is a loss, and there's no such thing as an ugly win. But at the end of the day, uh, Tennessee played solid football defensively that day, I thought. And that's – yeah, that, that showed me what I needed to know. And I think, you know, Brady Hoke did a great job of saying, hey, let, let's play for these seniors. Let, let's send these guys out the right way. And unfortunately for some of these young men, they're not going to be able to play. Um, you know, Evan Berry, former Tennessee All-American, hands in a cast, won't see him out there. Josh Smith, who's been around for five years, has been in a boot. I seriously doubt we'll even see him in uniform uh, when he comes out through the tee. Brett Kendrick's had the concussion situation since – uh, since Kentucky, um, and who am I leaving out? There's somebody else I think that's not able to play with. Uh, Cortez McDowell, yeah, another guy. It sounds like he's going to go through the T. Doesn't sound like he's going to return. I'm guessing we don't often see guys go through the T one at a time and then come back for the next year. Maybe he saw Cortez sat playing. And he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I might just need to go ahead and go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe he's got his degree. Maybe he's ready to move on in life. Knows he's not going to be an NFL guy, that sort of thing. But Cortez has always been a great kid. Uh, yes, he, he, you know, always, super good to deal with. Yeah, back to his days in, in high school, I got to know him a little bit at the offense-defense All-American Bowl when he was uh, an outfielder, a center fielder, and a safety coming out of uh, Locust Fork, Locust Grove. Locust Grove. Uh, Locust Grove <laughs> out of Georgia. Um, but great kid. You know, it, it's always tough to see these kids you've seen for five, six years now move on. But uh, at the same time, most of them will have, will have degrees in their hands. But, um, but but each guy you see walk walk out, you know, there's a different story with each one. Emmanuel Mosley was a, a high school state championship winning quarterback, gets a Tennessee, is 142-pound. Yep. 
cornerback hadn't had to you know get to know peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and protein shakes at three o'clock in the uh, morning yeah <laughs> to to really get up to about 165 170 playing weight and I, I look out there and he's on an island with Amari Cooper as a true freshman is this transition type kid that that should be redshirting good luck but, with that yeah <laughs> but uh, a tough situation Jack Jones will be going through the T as well uh university confirmed that for us this week um a young man I've known since I want to say his sophomore year of high school uh, at Oakland in Murfreesboro. Um, I actually moved to Knoxville from Murfreesboro, so I've seen a lot of those schools compete for 15, 20 years now. And uh, the Jones were nice enough to welcome me into their home back when Jack was a prospect. Got to know him and his his parents, really sweet people, sweet siblings as well. Nice home, uh, you just, know, just good uh, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah just a, just a great family. And for him to have to retire. Uh, when he is, it's tough. Uh, I, I went into the season, if you think back, I, I thought it would be great for Jack personally to redshirt this year and then come back and be a two-year starter at center with Jay Sean Robertson and Coleman Thomas uh, both graduating. Obviously, that's not going to happen now, but that, that would have been good for, for Jack and Tennessee moving on. But uh, the issues he has, it sounds like they were probably going to pop up at some point either way. Yeah. Um, not a doctor, don't know about the spine and shoulders and necks and that sort of thing, but we've seen it with – Devon Swafford and uh, Joe Young, different guys having to step away from the game. Justin Meredith had, I believe it was more of a leg injury that he had that couldn't let him go. And it's it's always tough seeing the cleats kind of yanked away from the, some of these young men. But, it's, but getting back to the point with this Vanderbilt game, it could be an emotional locker room. Uh, if you let some of these kids speak before the game, maybe let them speak at halftime and have, have a little more pride about them. And I think if – if you look in some of these eyes Saturday, you don't see some anger about what happened last year at Vanderbilt. I think that really cost Butch Jones a year of patience um, and it definitely cost him at least a potential opportunity to get to the Sugar Bowl and play Oklahoma again. If you don't approach this game with some kind of angst about you, some kind of, you know, a few more uh, bloodshot eyes, I guess, you know, so to speak, a little more trembling anger, more grit in your teeth, then, then this pro- you probably sh- you came to the wrong place and you shouldn't be a Tennessee volunteer. Yeah, one guy that I hope really gets a, a great ovation uh, before the game Saturday is Kendall Vickers because I don't know if people understand just how difficult it is to play as many reps as he's had to play a defensive tackle. And, and this is a guy who is now six foot three, 300 pounds. When he got to Tennessee, he was more like 225 or 230, and he was a kind of a, a defensive end, outside linebacker hybrid type. And Tennessee said, you're going to put on a bunch of weight and you're going to play defensive tackle. And he said, yes, sir. And he went and did it, and he bought in to everything from day one. Uh, he probably should have had a little more time to transition to the position, but he didn't because they didn't have bodies. And he's out there his sophomore year. They had just lost Danny O'Brien to the you know for the, for the suspension. They had some injuries there. And then Kendall Vickers, the week after that, he tears his ACL or his MCL in his knee. And but because they just lost Danny O'Brien, because they had some other guys injured, you know, uh, you had guys like uh, Tuttle and, and you know McKenzie, guys that weren't able to do much. And he stayed out there and he finished the second half of the season playing on a torn MCL and playing like sometimes 70, 80, 90 snaps in a game. And this guy has done nothing but put his just kind of bite down on that uh, mouthpiece and gone out there and fought like crazy for Tennessee for the past few years. And you know what? If Tennessee was was a top-five program, Kendall Vickers would be a guy who's getting a few snaps a game probably. He's a decent defensive tackle, but he's not a, an all-world player. But that guy's gone out there and just through so many injuries, he hasn't – he's missed – this will be his 39th consecutive start. He, he's been 38th consecutive 38, start. 38th, yeah. that was off by one. 38th consecutive start. This guy is – he, I don't like the, using the term warrior because I think that's, you know, reserved for the the men in camouflage and men and women in camouflage and and special forces who who protect and serve this country and do so many great things. So I don't like to to kind of get those 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 streams crossed a little bit. But uh, even my cousin who's who's in the army refers to to Vickers as a warrior, and I think that's okay. That's why I'll say it. That guy is just a fighter. He has given Tennessee a lot over the years, and, and I hope that he gets a really nice ovation Saturday because. It, it's really not possible to give more than that guy has given to the program over the years. And, and I also think uh, Jay Sean Robertson's another guy who has played through a lot of things and uh, is, is a good player. And I think some of those guys, uh, Josh Smith, I think would have been a good player if he had been able to stay healthy, but some guys just can't stay healthy. It, it, it doesn't mean they're not tough. It just means their bodies are, are, are they've got some problems. So 
there's a lot of those guys that, that I hope they go out there and have a nice ovation. I hope they play well. And I, I still don't know who's going to win that football game. I can't decide because neither team is really very good. But both teams, they don't like each other. They got a couple good athletes. You know, I, I, to me, I don't know if it's going to be a low-scoring game or a high-scoring game either. I'm having a really hard time kind of figuring out. It might be the, just the team that's more focused and wants to win more that day wins that game. That, that It could be as simple as that. But, you know, I, I think that, that it's going to be a pretty good fight either way. I think it's going to be a pretty – I don't know if it's going to be a, an aesthetically pleasing or beautiful game, Danny, but I think it, it might be an interesting football game. Yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting football game because it's Tennessee Vanderbilt. You know, I, you always say throw the records out when these two get yeah. together, and you don't want to throw both <laughs> records out in this case. Yeah, you're talking about what to call this game. Uh, contrary to the Governor's Cup, I think you could probably call it, given their SEC records, probably the Goose Egg Bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I like you can it. get that goose egg off of their their conference record. Uh, and not, you know, if I'm not mistaken, no Tennessee team has ever lost eight games. In 121 years of football, you don't want to be that one team. We've seen people on our our checkerboard message board debate. You know, is this the worst Tennessee team you've ever seen? Um, given the injuries and so much of what they've lost, uh, you know, almost what a little over a quarter of the roster uh, injured at some point this year. And then on top of that, you have the guys that are redshirting and not not physically able to hold up just yet. And it's, you know, what they're working with, it's, it's tough. You know, I don't want to make excuses for them. It's, it's not a very good football team. It's, what about, is, it, is it the worst I've ever seen? I, I don't know. Defensively 2012 was really bad, but that offense was also very, very good. So. Um, and 05 and 08 had good defenses. Yeah. T- 2013 wasn't a very good team. Um, let's see, 2010 played a lot of young guys but still made it to a bowl and had some guys that, that you could t- you could tell they were budding stars today, Rick Rogers, James Stone, Juwan James, those type of guys. And, and won the Music City Bowl that year and then lost it. But either way, I, I think all those teams would probably beat this Tennessee team, thinking of it. So I guess, yeah, this probably is the worst Tennessee team I've seen. But it's they've been through a lot, you know, and it's, you know, regardless of what – how – Things didn't go, obviously, as, as they wanted to in 2017, but these guys that are here for their fourth year, whether it's a Barry or Robertson or whomever, they were part of the guys to get Tennessee maybe not back on the map in terms of where Tennessee football was for 15, 20 years in the 90s in the Philip Fulmer era, but they, they took that step. You know, you've got to have some building blocks and some stones, and I'm not going to use the word bricks, <laughs> but but you got to have some stepping stones to get <sighs> where you need to be. So that's this is – you know that they've helped Tennessee get to that three straight bowl wins is nothing to shake a stick at, and they they've played some some big Ted teams and and beat the heck out of them. What about the American Standard Toilet Bowl? I like Goose Egg Bowl. Goose Egg Bowl could work. I like bowl. it. There, there's some there there's something to be said for that, Danny. That could work. I don't have a problem with that. Guys, it's been a week, and it's going to be another week in this Tennessee coaching search. So we'll be all over it. We'll we'll continue to bring you everything that that we hear we'll report all of it though accurately we're not going to just throw stuff against the wall to see what sticks and lastly before we get out of here guys just you know what enjoy your family this thanksgiving you never know Uh, think about the loved ones that you have the loved ones that aren't able to be there uh, because they've either passed away or they can't be in town Uh, your friends your family and be safe don't be stupid and be on the road call an uber call a lyft call a buddy call your mom have somebody come get you don't be don't be out there doing dumb stuff in the holidays because you're not just risking yourself you're risking everyone around you too so guys have a have a good safe happy thanksgiving we'll see you next week danny any final thoughts nope <laughs> <laughs>